Owen Patterson, the MP for North Shropshire, came here on GB News with me on Sunday to put his side of the story on a battle that he'd had for two years with the Parliamentary Standards Commissioner. They had found him guilty of egregious breaches of lobbying rules and proposed a 30-day suspension from Parliament, a very serious sanction for somebody who previously had been a Cabinet Minister. But when this got to the House of Commons yesterday, the government had decided that actually the whole process had not been conducted with due impartiality, we'd not been through a proper process, and that actually they were going to scrap and start the whole thing again. It seemed that Patterson was saved. I'm sure that Downing Street would have been shocked by today's newspapers, particularly the Conservative Party supporting newspapers like the Daily Mail, who were coruscating. And suddenly the words Tory sleaze have been back in the public lexicon. Well, today they changed their minds. And effectively, I think what Jacob Rees-Mogg, the leader of the House of Commons, did was to throw Patterson under the bus. He's responded to it by resigning as a member of Parliament. And it does seem to me, whatever the rights and wrongs of the Patterson case, in terms of how the government have handled this over the course of the last 48 hours, I think they are completely and utterly rudderless. They're being blown around by events, not just with this, with many other things too. So please let me know, you know, do you agree with me? Are they rudderless or do you feel some sympathy for what the government have done, let me know. GBviews at gbnews.uk. You can tweet at gbnews. Well, let's explain this, shall we? In very simple English, Darren McCaffrey, GB News's political editor. Darren, we've seen lots of U-turns from this government, but this one, within a space of 24 hours, is pretty extraordinary, isn't it? Yeah, it is, Nigel. As you say, this government has gotten well used to U-turns, but none quite so quick or, I would say, as dramatic and as important as the one that we've seen in the last 24 hours or so. Owen Patterson had been investigated for a long time. We know that the Standards Commissioner ruled against him, essentially, that he was misusing his position to get access to ministers and access at a cost, it must be said. He was earning £100,000 a year on top of his MP's salary from two different companies. That was a conclusion that was backed by the MP's standards uh, committee, who felt also that he had committed uh, egregious acts, and that is why he was given this 30-day suspension. The difficulty really came, though, really on Tuesday night when the government briefed to newspapers that they were going to change the rules, to change the game, essentially. They wanted to get rid of the current process and implement a new one, and it would be applied retrospectively. And that's the interesting thing, retrospectively, so that Owen Patterson potentially could have seen that decision overturned. And that was a, an element of discomfort, it must be said, for a lot of Conservative MPs who felt that this was not just MPs marking their own homework, but this was potentially the Conservative Party helping out a senior member of their own party simply because they wanted to, rather than it was because it was within uh, the rules. And then, as you say, we had that backlash. Many MPs, many Conservative MPs, uncomfortable with the three-line whip of having to support the government's action on all this. A stink, it must be said, amongst members of the public who were writing into their MPs and those damaging headlines in many national newspapers. And then this morning, 
Jacob Rees-Mogg, without Owen Paterson's knowledge, it must be said, stood, out in the, stood up in the House of Commons and said, actually, forget about what you voted on yesterday. We're not going to go ahead with those current plans. Essentially, we're going to have a full fat U-turn. Let's have a listen to what the leader of the House of Commons said a little earlier today. Mr Speaker, I'm also aware that last night's vote has created a certain amount of controversy. It is important that standards in this House are done on a cross-party basis. The The House voted very clearly yesterday to show that it is worried about the process of handling these complaints and that we would like an appeal system, but that change would need to be on a cross-party basis, and that is clearly not the case. While there is a very strong feeling on both sides of the House that there is a need for an appeals process, there is equally a strong feeling that this should not be based on a single case or applied retrospectively. I fear last night's debate conflated the individual case with the general concern. This link... This link needs to be broken. Therefore, I and others will be looking to work on a cross-party basis to achieve improvements in our system for future cases. We will bring forward more detailed proposals once there have been cross-party discussions. Now, following that announcement to the Commons, Nigel, clearly Owen Paterson could see, first of all, he'd been ditched by Downing Street, that the writing was on the wall, and that is why he issued the statement saying that he was going to step down as an MP for uh, Shropshire, saying that he wanted now a life outside of what he called the cruel world of politics that had been an indescribable nightmare for his family and for himself. Of course, he blames this whole investigation for one of the reasons that his wife very sadly committed suicide last year and that he repeated time and again that he was entirely innocent. Boris Johnson, the Prime Minister, also issued a statement saying he was sad to see Owen Paterson go. Of course, he had served twice under David Cameron as a Cabinet Minister. But in the end, aside from the kind of personal difficulty that Owen Paterson has found himself in, This is very, very difficult for the government on two levels. First of all, for Conservative MPs, many of them did not want to go through that lobby last night or yesterday afternoon and back the government, but they did, only for the government to U-turn less than 24 hours later. Where is that trust? Will they be willing to do it again in the future? And second of all, for public opinion, Labour today is saying that Boris Johnson had marched MPs through a sewer. Uh, The Lib Dems branding this as a Super League moment. Uh, for the government. As you say, sleaze and corruption, again associated with the Conservative Party. Will that translate into public opinion, potentially being a bit more sceptical about the Tories on some of these key issues? It'll be interesting to see. There will be a by-election in North Shropshire. Owen Paterson had a thumping majority, though the Conservatives also had one in a recent by-election in Amersham as well, and they managed to lose. I think the politics of this is fascinating. What we can all conclude, though, there are big questions about the Downing Street operation, Nigel, and Boris Johnson's political antennae that they didn't gain this out and essentially see this absolute fiasco coming. Yeah, Darren, thank you. And Darren's right. They didn't just misread the mood of many in the House of Commons. They, I think, misread the mood of Fleet Street and misread, perhaps, the mood of the public. Well, joining me now is... Conservative MP for Wellingborough, Peter Bone. Peter, um, I understand there's been a bit of public backlash in Wellingborough already against you. Well, yes, and my office was vandalised this morning. They were, some thug wrote Tory sleeves all over it, painted it, intimidating my staff. Completely unacceptable. Now, 
like you, I've had death threats. We've been attacked. Our property's attacked. Yeah. Uh, my children being threatened with murder. Social media picture of my son being beheaded. Three times I've had to dial 999 for my constituency surgery. None of that is acceptable. And it won't work. I don't think myself or any other member of parliament will change their views because of physical intimidation. No. I, Peter, I agree with that, and, and, and nor should they. No. Um, otherwise, what would become of our democratic system? But the interesting thing is they wrote Tory sleeves on your office. So this actually did resonate, didn't it? This whole case, what happened yesterday in the House of Commons, and clearly Owen Patterson's arguments that he put, that it was all to do with food safety, yeah. etc., which I did listen to very carefully on Sunday. But we also discovered uh, that, that with that company, Randox, he also went to government sources proposing perhaps new types of blood tests, etc. I mean, it doesn't look pretty, does it? No, well, the Standards Committee um, rejected what Owen said and, and, and published a report. And what should have happened in the Commons, we should have dealt with that report and voted on it, either to accept it or reject it or change the sentence or whatever. We should have done that separately. What we shouldn't have tried to do was change the rules after, retrospectively. And that was... The government made a huge mistake. Yes, the system is flawed. Across the House, people agree it's flawed. Even yeah. the chairman of the Standards Committee said there's room for improvement. But conflating the two things together was stupid. Was this? Fine. So there is the Patterson case on its own, which Parliament could have judged. Yeah. Should have judged. Either way. But in terms of what Downing Street did yesterday, do you understand why it's actually very easy for people to say this is the Tory party covering up oh. for one of their own and taking us back to the 1990s and cash for questions. It, do you understand why people are saying that? Absolutely, and it's so easy to do it because of the way it was handled. I mean, call it an own goal, it was a thumping own goal. I mean, it's not true, of course, because Owen Patterson wasn't cleared yesterday. He would have had to go through a it further... Was, it was a suspended judgment. Yes, yeah, yeah. And, and, I, I but that. that's not how the yeah. perception is. Yeah. Tories cleared Owen Patterson because he's a Tory and we don't care about anyone else. And that's the perception. And thankfully, the government acted very quickly and they've changed their position. Forced to, I think, actually. They by still look stupid. They, well, I'm afraid on occasion the Downing Street operation is stupid. And all governments, when they try to interfere with how the House of Commons is run, get it wrong. And that's what happened. If they, Interesting. Let's, let's go to Lloyd Rossamoyle, Labour MP for Brighton, Kemp Town and... Peacehaven. Lloyd, good evening. Good evening, Nigel. How are you doing? I'm doing well. I was just saying to Peter Bowen that, that you know, I hadn't heard the words Tory sleaze for 20 years or more, um, and suddenly even the Tory-supporting newspapers are using that phrase. Uh, what's your assessment of what happened in the House of Commons in the last two days? Well, I think, first of all, we've heard, quite rightly, the Conservatives got it wrong. Um, uh, the Conservatives got it wrong because they tried to change the rules retrospectively. They refused to do that when it was about one of their uh, sex pests to try and get him out of Parliament, but they were willing to do it when it was about money for lobbying of one of their friends to keep them in Parliament. That seems to me dreadfully wrong. Let's be very clear. He had, first of all, an assessment and a hearing from the Commissioner. He had an appeal at the committee and then a final appeal, effectively, 
at the Commons and fundamentally the very final appeal of all of these things is a suspension can trigger a by-election and the people decide and if he believed he was innocent and could convince the people he could have re-stood but instead what happened is people were trying to fiddle the system and that's what the public felt it was fiddling the system halfway through and that was totally wrong now the government backtracked but I think that some of this will start to stick and it's not the first time we of course have Matt Hancock's pub landlord gets million pound contracts for something that he'd never done before until Covid hit we have you know billions of pounds spent on uh, Dodo Harding's track and trace and it doesn't work properly for the first few months all of these kinds of disasters on their own are explainable but once they start to build up the public start to question are they competent is this government competent and is this government clean and that was of course the same thing that happened in that 92 to 97 yep. period yep. And it was. it's not only a problem for the Conservatives, it's a problem for all of us MPs because we all can get the backlash, as we've heard, that Peter has. Yeah, I mean, Lloyd, the point is this, isn't it? That, you know, the Conservatives have been in power for a long time um, and you can draw an analogy with 92 and perhaps where we are now. But the other point is this. The Labour Party was very ably led through the last half of that Parliament by a young Tony Blair... Um, and the charges, the charges that somehow new Labour was different, was fresh, and that the Tories were tired and looking after their own self-interest stuck. Can Keir Starmer, does Keir Starmer have the leadership abilities to reach out to the British public and promise them a new, cleaner kind of politics? Well, you know, the differences between me and Keir are no secret. But let's be very clear, Keir has a background of that lawyer, of that prosecutor. I think we can be very clear, Keir would of course be someone that is a totally different kind of persona than the kind of matey, dodgy, dealy persona that you have with Boris Johnson. And I think that the public will see that very starkly. One slight problem I would suggest, Lloyd, for the Labour Party is that on this very day, Claudia Webb, a Labour Member of Parliament for Leicester has, of course, received a suspended sentence. So it doesn't look so good for either party, really, does it? No, but the difference is the action that the party has done. Now, Claudia does have still an appeal route, so I, I would never prejudge what the appeal judges are going to say, but if we yeah. suspect they uphold um, it, there will be a by-election. The Labour Party suspended the whip from her immediately that this became available. They have today um, expelled her from the party, pending, of course, a High Court judgment. The Labour Party have not gone round trying to scuttling around changing the rules. Yeah to make uh, you know, what she's accused yeah. of doing uh, legal. But that's what the Conservative Party seemed to have done. That's the difference. You all get rotten apples. You all get people that do the wrong thing sometimes in your own team. It's how you deal with it that matters. Peter Bone, Lloyd Russell-Moles made it very clear. When Labour find misdoings, they act immediately. They've expelled Claudia Webb from the Labour Party. But the charge he's making against your party is you try to cover up and change the rules to protect one of your own. Yeah, I mean, th that's nonsense. That's not what happened because they ch tried to change... Well, I think the government, quite rightly, thinks that the standards procedure is flawed as there's no appeal system. As uh, Lloyd has just said, uh, the Labour MP, his subject has appealed and has the right to. Owen Patterson did not have that right, so I think no, there was concern no, no, about no, that. But the, but the point Lloyd's making, and making quite clearly, is Labour have found... One of their members of parliament 
to have acted in a way that's not acceptable and have expelled her from the party. The Conservative Party tried to gather their arms around one of their own to protect him. Well, that, that interpretation thing's wrong. What they actually voted for was a review of the system and Mr Patterson's case to be suspended until that review has taken place. The idea that somehow the Conservatives tried to clear Owen Patterson was wrong. But the perception is there and that's clearly a problem for the Conservative Party. I'm pleased the Prime Minister acted promptly and when, when a government does something wrong, it's to their credit if they immediately correct it and, and that's well, what's happened. Well, this government does correct quite often, Peter, doesn't it? It's, uh, well, you might be suggesting they're all wrong quite often. It's known for you, turns, <laughs> isn't it? Lloyd Rossabaugh, looking ahead from here, I mean, it's in the interest of all of us that care about a functioning democracy for the public to believe in the honesty and the integrity of our political system. It's vital that that should be the case. The Labour Party said they would boycott the new proposals the government put forward yesterday. Would you like to see the Standards Committee carrying on exactly as it is? Or is there an argument for amending it, reforming it and improving it? Now, the Standards Committee's role is twofold to look at cases and to, in each parliament, conduct a whole-scale review of how standards work. That is what it's doing at the moment. That party is cross, that committee is cross-party and that committee is currently engaging in that inquiry. So it's not true to say that anyone thinks that things should just continue on. It's an iterative process that continually needs improvement. What you don't need to do is create a committee where you shove it with all your mates. There are no independent people. The Standards Committee is half independent at the moment. And basically, you're marking your own homework. That doesn't look good. Nobody really appreciates that. And nobody actually thinks that's a credible way to restore trust in members of Parliament. OK. And Peter Bone, finally, just a quick personal thought about Owen Patterson. I know he's a friend of yours, been through a terrible personal time. How's he going to deal with all of this? Well, he's put out a very dignified statement of why he's resigned. I mean, he, when he and his family have gone through the most awful events that we could possibly consider, and I think some people who are trying to kick him when he's down is very unfortunate. I think there should be compassion shown here. He's resigned, he's done the right thing, and I should think he should be left to, to carry on his life now. Peter Bone. Lloyd Rossamall, thank you very much indeed. In a moment, we'll talk about nurses' pay. They're being offered 3%, and yet some in the union think it should be 12.5%. They could even go on strike. Are we heading for a winter of discontent? Owen Patterson resigns as an MP and the government make a dramatic U-turn within 24 hours as to how the Standards Committee in Parliament should work. I'm asking, is the government rudderless? Because it does seem to be to me. Michael on GB Views responds by saying to me, Tory sleaze has never gone away. So that phrase is back. Mark says, it's time for all this to stop. MPs must not have any other job, paid or unpaid, and passes must not have donors. I'm not sure how the system works that way, but hey, Kevin says the government are corrupt, incompetent, inept and sleazy. Clive says to me, the shambles over this matter is entirely self-inflicted by a government that is completely out of touch. Yes, I think they were out of touch with their own backbenches, out of touch with the media, 
out of touch with the general public. They've got this horribly, horribly wrong. And Lynn says, the two-year investigation on Owen Patterson was a complete farce from beginning to end. Well, I don't know whether it was a farce. The question was, had it gone through due process? And that was the debate uh, that was happening yesterday. And indeed, you know, the 30-day suspension of Patterson from Parliament, that decision had been deferred yesterday. But now he's gone. The government have made a spectacular mess of it and a very big own goal. Now, nurses are preparing to vote on whether to go on strike over a 3% pay increase for NHS staff. The Royal College of Nursing is campaigning against the offer and will deliver a 160,000-strong petition to Downing Street on Thursday. They want fair pay for nursing. Well, they argue that with inflation forecast to be 4%, nurses will be worse off in real terms. And, of course, right now there are tens of thousands of vacant posts in the NHS and, indeed, in the independent healthcare sector as well. So this really is important. We're told there are more nurses who are considering leaving over the pay deal. That's what the Royal College of Nursing says. So they're wearing their T-shirts, save staffing, save lives. But I have to say that when the chair of the committee uh, says that they should have a 12.5% pay rise, well, I'm sorry, but there's no way with our public finances in the state they're in, there is no way that nurses are going to get a 12.5% pay rise. However much sympathy you may have with nurses and the great work they've done during the pandemic and all other times, their ask is unrealistic. And I think in the face of that, it's very unlikely that enough would vote for strike action. At least, I certainly hope that's the case. Last night, we covered what was going on in the English Channel. We'd uh, made comment that the day before, the number who'd crossed the channel this year had gone through 20,000 with almost no media coverage whatsoever. Yesterday, we sat here and speculated that we thought on that day alone, as many as 800 could have crossed the English Channel. What is remarkable, 24 hours on, is we still have no official figures from the Home Office as to how many people crossed the English Channel yesterday. I don't know what the problem is. I don't know what they've got to hide. There were certainly, on the French side, some real problems uh, and helicopters being scrambled. Uh, one person died, one is still missing. There was a ferry that had to help out. Uh, one of the dinghies that was in trouble and perhaps sinking. But I've also commented consistently through this crisis that the Royal National Lifeboat Institute is being used in ways that its donors don't give it money for. Yes, it's there to save lives. And if people are genuinely in trouble, then there's no question the lifeboats in Kent will go. But it's not for our lifeboats to effectively become an arm of border force. And I've argued this passionately here over the last few months and had some fair kickback from the RNLI head office down in Poole. But I keep on saying this is unsustainable. And yesterday, yesterday saw the Ramsgate, the Dover and the Dungeness lifeboats and between them going out 16 or 17 times yesterday from the early hours of the morning right into darkness. 
And I received this message last night from somebody who works as part of a lifeboat crew in Kent. And have a listen to what he has to say. Hello, Nigel. As I write this, the Dungeness and Dover lifeboats are out on migrant shouts and have been out since this morning. Currently, there is only one Border Force vessel seeker in mid-channel. In Dover, other Border Force vessels, Hunter, Speedwell and Hurricane, are in the dock. So why are they tucked up inside Dover whilst the lifeboats are being tasked instead? Apart from previously hearing about it being too rough for Border Force to go, the other excuses servicing are we are out of hours and not enough staff. I honestly now believe that the RNLI is being taken for a ride and think it's an absolute mickey take. We are willing to drop everything and run at all hours, whereas it seems Border Force are content to pick and choose. The Coast Guard now seem to task us without even considering, and you can tell this man is upset because he calls it border farce, rather than give even more money to Macron and his cronies Put it to good use. Make the border force do what it's actually supposed to do and let the RNLI go back to doing proper rescues and stop treating volunteer crews for granted. And that is said with much, much passion by somebody who feels uh, upset, uh, indeed disenchanted, with a volunteer service that he's given so much of his time and his love and his devotion to and it's a very, very sad state this wonderful institution is being put into because Border Force simply haven't got the resources to do the job. And I am all on the side of the lifeboats and the lifeboat crews. But I'm not, not going to sit here and allow them to become effectively a taxi service working on behalf of Border Force and ironically on behalf of those criminal gangs without saying something. Now, Boris Johnson left COP26 on a private jet to attend dinner at the Garrett Club. It is said that the Prime Minister flew 400 miles from Glasgow to the engagement of the Garrett Club in London, attended by Conservative peers and the big climate change sceptic, ironically, Lord Moore of Etchingham. This report was first put out by the Daily Mirror. The paper reported that dinner at the club was for Daily Telegraph journalists where Johnson, of course, was a columnist for many, many years. It has led to accusations of double standards after urging other countries to do everything possible to pledge lower emissions and warning that they could be judged by their children if they failed to act. An average private jet journey emits ten times as much greenhouse gas as a person catching the same class on an economy class flight and 150 times more than a railway trip. Well... There you are, uh, Boris, if you're going to stand up there and preach to the world, don't fall into that same mistake, that same trap that Harry and Meghan did when they kept telling us about our social responsibility and going around the world in private jets. It just doesn't work. Now, my real What the Farage moment today, and I can scarcely believe this, but I'm afraid it's true. In Edinburgh, school pupils are showing support for the Clothes Have No Gender campaign by joining in a Wear a Skirt to School Day. A primary sixth class at Castleview Primary School were keen to show solidarity with the campaign 
after a pupil in Spain was expelled, boy in Spain expelled, for wearing a skirt. It sparked a nationwide kickback as male pupils and teachers alike wore skirts in support to try and fight against gender norms and expectations as well as to help teach tolerance and respect. Castleview Primary School has now joined in with this. And this Thursday, it's going to be wear a skirt to school day for those who wish to take part. A spokesperson for the Edinburgh City Council said, as Scotland's capital city, we are fully committed to promoting equality and diversity and are keen to increase respect, tolerance and understanding, especially in our schools. We want to ensure all our schools are inclusive and Castleview are carrying out a lot of positive work to promote equality across all of their year groups. Well, I'm sorry, but we're dealing here with primary school children. And I worry, I've said uh, for months, years even, that we seem to be indoctrinating uh, young children, uh, telling them there's no such thing as normal anymore. Um, and I just wonder, isn't this actually rather confusing? I've also got a correspondent in touch with me regularly from a school in Cambridgeshire where his nine-year-old daughter, a couple of weeks ago, was subjected to vegan poetry, uh, telling a nine-year-old it would be wrong to have turkey at Christmas. We talk a lot about our universities and the huge left-wing bias, but I worry that actually this is happening to children of much younger ages. I think this is very worrying. Well, joining me to answer the question, what the hell's going wrong in our schools, is Chris McGovern, Chairman of the Campaign for Real Education and retired head teacher. Chris, does this um, event on Thursday at a primary school in Edinburgh, does it surprise you? It doesn't surprise me. Um, I'm afraid the world of education is going increasingly off the rails. Um, look, I've taught for 35 years. I've taught in primary and I've taught in secondary. In fact, I was a head in the primary school when I, when I retired. And therefore, I, I know a thing or two about kids. What I taught the children as a head teacher and as a teacher was that you, you teach them the golden rule of all religions. You treat each other as you want to be treated. Here we have a situation where children as young as three are being asked to question their gender. Now, look, this is going to be incredibly confusing. We have a mental health epidemic anyway in our schools, and now we're going to add to this. These are children. They still believe in fairy tales, goblins, Father Christmas, why don't we let them have a childhood, for, you know, for heaven's sake? And no, the, the only childhood they're going to see in reality is a sort of Hansel and Gretel world. Come into our school and dress as, if you're, a, if you're a boy, dress with a skirt, and you'll be praised for this. This is like the witch in Hansel and Gretel. It's, it's not good enough. It's very cruel. And I think Scotland is going slightly mad. I mean, we're not far behind in England, but Scotland is going slightly mad. I remember Dominic Cummins writing when he was an advisor in England, of course, to Michael Gove, and he said, that entering the Department for Education was akin to entering a lunatic asylum. And Scotland's even further than that. So this is where we are. By all means, you know, ask parents what they think. And ask the three and four-year-olds. They'll tell the teachers and they'll tell the head teachers, you're being very, very silly. We're girls, we're boys. Yeah, I have to say, I, I think you're right about the sort of confusion for kids. And, and, and this is not necessary at any level. In America, on Tuesday, there were school board elections right across the country... And a lot of parents decided enough's enough and put themselves up for election. There is a means there where they can fight back. What can parents do if they've got children in primary schools, secondary schools? What realistically can a parent do if they're very unhappy about the way in which their children 
are being taught. Let me just say that one, one of the, in, in, in Virginia, where that election was, one of the parents, uh, well, many of the parents complained because a boy in a skirt went into the girls' changing room or the toilet and raped the girl. This is a big issue. What can parents do? Well, they've got to stand up because they're standing up for the future of their children. And they've really got to make a noise and talking to the newspapers, talking to the, the media, talking to the television and so forth. They've got to go to the media because, you know, the, the, the schools don't listen. It's like a secret society almost. You won't even become a teacher. You won't get into a teacher training college unless you sign up for this agenda. People like me now are seen as being total maverick and totally beyond the pale. But I've taught as much as these people. I know as much as any of these people. And I can see what's going on. And we've got brainwashing in the teacher training colleges and we've got brainwashed teachers, and they're trying to brainwash the children. It's a bit like Mao's China, the little red book of wokeism, which they're running behind. And, you know, the teachers themselves need to be re-educated. It's going to be very, very difficult and a long way back. Chris McGovern, let's not end on a negative note. Can we turn this around? We can always turn education around. I often say, you know... When Singapore was a colony of the United Kingdom back in the 60s, it was about 500 years behind behind us, illiterate, numerate, and miles behind. Look at them now. The way forward for us, perhaps, is to copy Singapore, or maybe we should send our parents who are desperate to go to Singapore and claim educational asylum. <laughs> it could be a way. It could be a partial way forward, I'm not sure. Chris McGovern, thank you very much indeed for joining us. And, and by the way... If you've got stories about what's happening to your children in your schools, do let us know, gbviews at gbnews.uk. It is that time of the year, remembrance. The Royal British Legion are out. It is their 100th anniversary. 1921 was the first RBL poppy appeal. I'm going to be joined in a moment by a man called David Dade, who has been out collecting on the streets of this country since 1966. He's given up a huge amount of his time. Let's find out why he does it. The GB News pub is open. It's Talking Pints. I'm joined by David Dade, a man who's been collecting for the Royal British Legion since 1966. But before... I introduce him. Earlier today, I went down to Sloan Square to collect, help collect money for the poppy appeal myself. Let's have a look. 1921s, when the Royal British Legion launched their first ever poppy appeal. It's the centenary this year. Today, I'm with the branch here, the Chelsea and Kensington branch. I'm here with Charlie Mullins. You can see somewhere here from Pimlico Plumbers. We've got some servicemen, ex-servicemen collecting money, and the Legion still does very, very important work. We're not just remembering those that fell in the First World War, the Second World War, but of course those that are injured and still suffering from Iraq and Afghanistan. So the Legion does terrific work. Right, brilliant, there we go. There's the box. There's your poppy. Marvellous, thank you very much. People are coming up, and, and they're putting sort of 20 quids in. I'm absolutely astonished. Absolutely, I thought maybe the old fiver or whatever. But it just shows you how generous people are, and Talking to the guys that do this regularly at these big London stations, I mean, they raise thousands of pounds every day doing this. It's absolutely amazing. The whole act of remembrance is something that brings the country together and also makes us realise, through the Commonwealth, how many other people around the world have contributed so much so that we can be a free country. So I'm really pleased and proud to be here. And I really was. David Dade, welcome to Talking Thank you. Pints. Nice to meet you. Great Michael. to see you. Now, you're wearing one or two medals there. You've 
Yes. Been in the army. Been in the Merchant Navy first. Yep. Then I was in the army. Yep. Came out and I've worked in security and that ever since. But I've been doing the poppy appeal since 1966 after the poppy appeal or the British Legion helped my yep. parents when they had illnesses and that. They were very good to them. So you my way of giving it so, back. So your parents were ex service. My father was ex service in the Coldstring Guards. Yep. And in what way did the British Legion help them? Well, they, mother was ill, father had a stroke, and they helped. They got um, put them into, got them into a nice flat, um, helped with the white goods in the house yep. and things like that. And as my way of saying thank you, I have worked with the Poppies Peel various places ever since. So they've been going a hundred years. Yes. And you've been out there for over half of that. Yes. <laughs> it's a heck of a long time, isn't it? So you've given a lot of time to this. Yeah, but there's other people that have given longer than me, actually. But, yes, we, we don't do it because we're getting paid. We're not getting paid. We're volunteers. And we all want to do it. And that's why I'm glad that this year we've been able to get there and get all our collectors. Because last year... We were locked down in most of it. So what happened last year? Well... We were told at one point, no, you can't do the poppy pill. Then we were told, yes, you can. But it was on a very restricted how to do it. Um, in Islington, where I am, there was about four of us instead of about our normal 30. But we raised over £14,000 for the appeal just in Islington. Just four of you? Yes. Just four of you standing out there yep. and you raised 14000 quid. Yeah. I was amazed today, I said in that little video clip. Yes. People come up and put 20 quids in. I was, oh, I, know. I was really surprised. I was really surprised. I know you were. I was watching you. No, no, I, well, I was pleasantly surprised. You know. Yes. So you talked about the great work the Legion did for your parents and, and clearly the great work the Legion continue no. yes. to do. Something interesting I've noticed. In the last few years, you see villages, small towns, where they've got big poppies up on the lampposts. Yes, yes. In a way, they didn't 20 years ago. No, no. Is it... Could it, I don't know what your view is, but could it be, David, that perhaps because of Afghanistan and Iraq, it's brought to a younger generation don't this idea the, of loss and suffering? Yeah, but don't forget the Falklands before that, 40 years ago. Yeah. Um, things change. Poppy pill has got to change. And it's got to change for the better to help a younger generation of injured soldiers... Um, and of course it has. No, of course so, it has, yeah. And the way, only way to do that is to increase what we're selling, or not selling, what we're asking people to donate, how we are envisaged. Um, we now have the new logo, which I'm wearing there. Yep. If they can see it. Did it need a new logo? Um, yes, I think we have to go with the times. All right. We're in the 21st century. And we need to, to go with the, with the times. And the public reaction. Because, you know, we've heard, and there are some lines of argument in this country today, you know, uh, that look back on everything to do with British history as if it's shameful. Um, are you finding there are some younger people today that are resentful? There are. But if they come and talk to me, I will explain to them um, what... It's all about, it's not just about us, the English, or us, the British. It's about all who lost their lives during the conflicts. Um, World War I, 
World War II, Burma, oh, Malaysia. I mean, you can go on and yeah, on I mean, and there on. There was barely been a year, you know. Exactly. I, I think it was it nineteen sixty-eight was the only year we didn't lose somebody yes. in, on 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 active service. That's right. And because of that, I will say say to them, look, there goes, but for the grace of God. So you don't get well, hostility then. If I get it, I walk away because I don't want the hostility. I want the friendship of everybody. Yeah, well, look, I have to say, I've never been out before and collected for the British Legion because I was in elected politics and it, yes. it didn't seem to be appropriate to do it. But having gone out today and met you and met the gang down there in Sloane Square, um, I was very inspired by what you all do. It was pretty cold, but, it was. but that didn't seem to stop any of you. <laughs> no, uh, no. But no, I just feel... And yes, there may be some that, 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 that question what we do and question Churchill. Mm -hmm. But I generally feel that poppy appeal is bigger than it ever was. And who would have thought that we'd have brought back not just Remembrance Sunday, but now a lot of businesses and places stop at 11 o'clock on yes. the 11th of November. Yes, so it do. seems to have got bigger, not smaller. I, I agree there. It has. I think people in business are actually suddenly realising... Yes, we should remember what our fathers, our grandfathers, our, they were in a conflict. Some of them lost their lives. Yes, we should remember. Yeah. And it is fantastic. In Islington, this 11th, we're going to be meeting at the town hall with the mayor. He will lay a wreath inside the town hall at their memorial. Um, I'm going with a school, couple of school parties down to our memorial in the Angel area. Yep. And we're going to be laying two wreaths there on the 11th. So it's, even the schools are remembering. It's a busy old time of year for you, isn't it? Yes, it is. Well, look, I think, well, I think what the Legion do is terrific. I think what you do is terrific. Um, I don't want you to go on doing it for as long as possible. But I have to ask you... Yes. When I met you earlier, I looked at the medals that you got, and you've got one medal there that is really unusual for a Brit. I'd like you to share it with us. You mean my Vietnam medal? Yes. Well, yeah. I was in the, when I was in the Merchant Navy, I was on tanker... Don't ask me the name of it, because I can never remember it. <laughs> but we went up the Delta delivering fuel to the Americans. And because of it, the Americans decreed that any British that sailed with and delivered was part of the conflict, so was entitled to the medal. Mine was given to me, I think it's nearly 20 years ago now, by the American ambassador at a function at the embassy. Fantastic. I, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm very pleased as a country we didn't go to in, get involved well, in yes. Vietnam. Yes. I, was, I think one of Harold Wilson's pretty best decisions that he yes, ever made. Yes. But there can't be many of you that have No, there's that not. Level. I don't think there are. I've I don't never... think there's that many left alive now because I was a youngster. Yeah. I was 15. You were 15? Yes. What were you I doing was... in a conflict zone at 15? I was a galley boy in the kitchen. Right. Yeah, well, there you are. And actually, and actually... If you go back through the last 100 years or more of all of this, there's an awful lot of 14 and 15-year-olds that were actually yes. lost at sea and killed yes. and all the rest yes. of it. But you've got the Vietnam Medal, and that, I think, is pretty blooming special. Will Thank the you. Queen... Do, we don't know yet whether the Queen's going to be attending on Remembrance Sunday, do we? But um, how important is that? The whisper is that, yes, she is. That's the whisper. That's the that's inside the, story, That's the whisper it? that she will, she will attend. If not outside, she will be up in the balcony where they all stand normally, just so she can be there. Because that's a pretty important part of all Oh, this, yes, it's part it? of her life. Part like, of her life. And... Exactly like... No, it, it's part of her life. She is our patron. 
Yeah, no, I know. And because of it, I think she wants to be there. It's like Troop in the Colour. She would always be there if she could, one way or another. Yeah, well, thank goodness she is, because, of course, Prince Philip did amazing work. Oh, yes. Uh, with all of the, all of the different military uh, charities yes. and the yes. Legion and everything. And, of course, at the Field of Remembrance at Westminster Abbey. Yes. He'd retired from it. And Prince Harry had stepped in. Yes, but... Um, and we'd all thought, well, maybe he were there for many, many years to come, but that's clearly not going to happen. Um, it's, 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 it's not going to be easy... No. ..to find raw patronage in the future, as good as well, you've had in the past. Um, I'm hoping we will. Um, I think little George, when he gets a bit older, will step up. Right, there we are. David Dale has put his faith in little George. And, folks, isn't it great that we have people in this country who are prepared to go out and give of their free time in, I can assure you, all weathers, uh, and to raise money for the British Legion and to help people of all ages, all generations, all backgrounds, all nationalities understand why remembrance and wearing a poppy is a very, very special, important thing in our country. David Dade, thank you for thank coming you. in and talking to me. Thank you. Right, we're nearly at the end of the programme, but I've got a couple of minutes left and I'm going to take some barrage, the farages, where you've sent in your questions, sight unseen to me, and I'll do my best to answer them. Aid on Twitter asks me, would you go on a pub crawl with Jean-Claude Juncker and Guy Verhofstadt? Now, look, I'm a great believer. You can disagree with people in life, politically, but still like them as human beings. No problem going on a pub crawl with Jean-Claude Juncker other than... Even though I'm quite well known for liking the odd share, but he would drink me under the table. I mean, I couldn't, you know, I couldn't live in that company. But would I want to go out and have a drink with Giva Hofstadt? No, because not only do I disagree with him, not that that matters, I can't stand the bloke either. He's deeply intolerant, thinks he's right, foams at the mouth with rage at anything to do with Brexit. So, no, Verhofstadt is not top of my list. Um, bad politics, bad guy in my view. Um, <laughs> Janie on Twitter says, great suit tonight. That blue really suits you. Oh, thank you, darling. Thank you, darling. She's left the number, I believe. Well, that's great. Um, Beth on Twitter says, who is the European politician you'd most welcome at Christmas Day at the Farage household? Oh, gosh. Um, whatever I say here, I'll get into the most awful trouble. So pre-lunch drinks will stick with Juncker, all right? And that'll be absolutely... Yeah. Then, and then we'll boot him out, otherwise we'd all collapse. Um, time for a couple of quick more ones. Chris says to me, how do you see the 2022 US elections going? So we were very fortunate last night to have a top pollster from America on. And if you look at what happened this Tuesday, if anything like that was to repeat itself in the midterm elections in 2022 in America, the Republicans would win an absolute landslide in both the House and the Senate. And I you know, have to tell you, whatever you think of Biden's politics, he doesn't appear to be up to the job. And that is now having a real impact on American voters. I've got time for one more. Scott on GB Views asks me, apart from being PM, which office of state would you like to hold and what would you change? Well, I think that actually uh, what I ought to do is step in for Pretty Patel. Um, she's a nice lady, 
which she's promised to uh, deal with our borders, and she's failed spectacularly. And if I was put in charge, I'd sort the English Channel out. Oh, we'd be condemned by the United Nations and by the European Union and by Sleepy Joe, but you know what? I'd solve it. Really, I mean it. I'll be back with you next Monday evening. Coming up next tonight, it's Colin Brazier. First, though, let's see what the weather's doing.